Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I am your host, Caitlin McCleskey, and today I'm joined with one of my good friends, Emily Shilton. Hello, Emily. Hey, Caitlin. Uh, excited to be here. Um, that's what people always say <laughs> after the, uh, the opening line, so uh, that was, that's what I prepared. <laughs> So we were, Emily was just about to tell me about her true crime slash mystery background and I stopped her and said, save it for the podcast. And so we've started up and now Emily, I'd like to hear all about it. Sweet. Um, so I grew up uh, watching sort of like mystery crime shows at like a really formative young age. Uh, me and my mom both really like, like, like real mystery or... Like a little little bit of everything. So I'd say Criminal Minds has always been a really big guilty pleasure. Um, Mm. And the thing thing Mm -hmm. I like about them is if you watch enough, you can like super easily predict what's going to happen. Like white male, (laughs) 18 to 25, driving a red truck, had issues (laughs) with his mom. Like like by the end, like you get really good. Um, But then true crime as well. Like me and my mom watched about three different documentaries about like the John Benet Ramsey, uh, like – mystery oh, yeah yeah still unsolved um so i'd say yeah more maybe maybe more crime than mystery um but yeah they, they do overlap frequently yeah and it's this it's a similar idea that there's there's definitely a pattern like i've i when i when i read them more kind of casually i couldn't guess the solution as much but now that i've been reading mystery books and like analyzing them and writing about them and talking about them i I've, i can follow the pattern a lot easier yeah, I remember. So I got the um, the collected works of Sherlock Holmes when I was like younger because I was like, I saw mm. the Robert Downey Jr. movie and I was like, oh my gosh, th- these are so cool. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if you've read them, but they can be quite, quite dry. Uh, yeah, I think I've tried and gotten bored. I want to try again, but <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, so I was like, I think like 13 and like fueled by this desire of like, I don't know, like I need to prove myself by reading these. So I like, I forced myself to get through them. And like by the end, you kind of start to see like, if this guy comes up in like the second page, he's probably going to have something to do with like uh, the end. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, good. You can use that in the story. Sweet, yeah. Well, I, I have been listening and there's sometimes where like, I think I was listening to the one like Matt was on and he was like missing a lot of like really obvious catches. I'm like, Matt, like that guy clearly did it. Um, oh, called out, called out. <laughs> Matt's not here to defend himself. <laughs> He'll have to come back to like avenge himself. But yeah, I was just like, I think that's what inspired me to like be like, you know what, I'm going to go on there and I'm going to, I'm going to try and solve this early to prove it can be done. But uh, I guess I guess we'll see if I can do it. I hope you can. Because, uh, yeah, no one's no one's solved it early yet. That would be a first, Emily. Well, can you imagine the podcast is, like, like not saying I will, but let's say I do, and, like, it's just, like, a 10-minute episode compared to the hour-long one. <laughs> Even if you guess it, I won't tell you. We'll keep going. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine me keep going? I'm like, I already know, Caitlin. Just just move it along. I, I'm not changing my guess. <laughs> People, people have been asking for shorter episodes, so that wouldn't be the end of the world, but maybe don't do that, Emily. <laughs> don't okay. guess it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it would probably turn out to be a better episode if I'm, if I'm actually just like shit, like I come on with this like really big energy <laughs> and then like I'm just wrong all the way through. <laughs> well, it inspires more people to go, oh, they didn't see that. I saw that. I can do it better. 
yeah, it, I'll just uh, I'll just be fuel fuel on the fire for uh, people's desire to come on the podcast. Yeah. Would you like to get started with this week's mystery, Emily? Yeah, I have my notebook open and I am ready to go. Okay, great. So we are doing this week The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie, which she wrote in 1922. So it was one of her, I think it was her either second or third book. I'm going to double check. And uh, when I first read this book, I kept pronouncing it The Secret Adversary. No, uh, sorry, that's the actual title. The Secret Adversary which is not correct. And I listened to the audiobook for the first half. So I really should have got like, <laughs> I heard it said out loud. <laughs> My bad. Well, uh, good thing you got it sorted out before this podcast. Cause I just imagine you having to go over it and like bleep it out. And it's like the secret <laughs> adversary or something. I'm trying to edit it. Uh, I have done that before. Uh, <laughs> really? I don't know how obvious it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I pronounced someone's, I said, I said someone's name instead of someone else's. And I was like, oh, this is way too confusing. I have to fix it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I, I haven't noticed. I may have missed that episode, but uh, you uh, you pulled a fast <laughs> one on me. <laughs> so second book. This is book number two. So pretty cool. And kind of at the beginning of when Agatha Christie was writing, she was still like focused on dates and like kind of writing at a specific time period. So because this was written kind of shortly after the war, it's based on being written short now, shortly after the war. So it's like set in, if you were reading it when it was written, it would have been like present day. Okay. Okay. So World World War One has just ended? Or World War One's, yeah. Just ended, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's going to be the actual book. But we start with a prologue where it's 1915. So the, and the kind of concept is that the US has not joined the war yet, which in real life was accurate as well but there were like I think they're like on the cusp of entering the war so there is this boat called the Lusitania and it's in the process of being sunk by torpedoes and on the boat there's this man who kind of approaches this like uh, young woman and tells her you look like a patriotic American girl I, I'm going to trust you with this 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 document. And he hands her this oil skin package and says, you're more likely to get on a lifeboat than I am if you make it to shore and I don't bring this to the American embassy in England. Wow. Okay. So that's the prologue. So that kind of like that, that then ends. That was just like one chapter. That's all we get. Okay. A little, a little glimpse to, to give us yeah. some intrigue. Yeah. Get you excited. Crazy. I, you know, I was listening to another podcast that talked about how people actually pulled this during the war, but it was with like valuables. And then there was this like whole issue after the war of trying to get all that stuff back. Because they're like, I gave you this painting. I'd like this painting back. It's another podcast, though. So we'll stick to the story. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. So yeah, so we're just kind of left with this, like these two characters, they're nameless, but a man and a, a young woman or a girl. Uh, her age is maybe uh, 19 to 23. I don't think they okay. say, I'm just guessing. So then we we start the actual book and now we're after the war. So that was like pre-war, now we're after the war. And it's these two old friends that have kind of like run into each other in the streets of London. They haven't seen each other for a couple of years, but they had been um, like old school. They had been friends in school as young kids. And then I think they had they had met each other throughout life. They had met each other during the war. And so now they're meeting again after the war. Okay. And so their names are Tommy and Tuppence. 
Say, what was that second one? Tuppets. Can, they, you, uh, they, can you spell that for me? <laughs> they spell it T-U-P-P-E-N-C-E. Tuppets. Okay, cool, cool. I'm, I'm drawing like one of those like murder webs in my little book and I'm mm. just, <laughs> I just want to make sure I get the spelling right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, Tommy's easy. Tuppence. I don't know. Maybe if you're British, it's like a common name. I have no idea. I never heard anyone with that name. Actually, to be fair, it's a nickname. Her real first name is, I think, Prudence, but she goes, everyone calls her Tuppence. That's all I'll refer to her as. Isn't that like a, the, the song in Mary Poppins? It's like feed the birds Tuppence a day or something. Yeah, and I think it's it's based on the nickname might be based on two pence. Mm. Like okay. I think there's a coin that's a two a two pence coin. Maybe if you're British, two pence sounds like tuppence. Yeah, let me try. What? <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> two pence. Two pence. Can I? Can I have a tuppence? <laughs> Oh, God. Sometimes I think I have a good British accent and other times, my gosh, it's terrible. Yeah, I feel like I, I watched all the Harry Potter series in a row once. And I, then afterwards, mm-hmm. I, I felt myself kind of like slipping into it for a little <laughs> bit. Fair. I can see that. Okay, so Tommy is a boy. Tuppence is a girl. And they've met in yeah. London. And they've been, they've been friends as young kids. Yeah, and so they they decide they're like let's catch up, let's go have some tea. But they're as they're kind of discussing this, they they both are telling each other like, "Are you broke? Yeah, me too. I'm broke. Like I got no money, so we got to go to the cheapest place we can go for food." And I think they both order tea, but like I think one of them gets a bun with margarine, and the other gets like just a piece of toast. Like it's bare minimum what they're eating. Okay. Okay. And because of that, like, lack of money, I think Tuppence is saying how the only option for her is to marry rich. Like, she's just hoping to God that she just bumps into a rich man and he falls in love with her. Which, okay. Okay. <laughs> good for her. <laughs> I thought I thought you were about to say the only option is, like, murder. Um, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tuppence marrying rich. They kind of get into that. So they, they, they're discussing, like, how can we make money? And they, I think Tuppence suggests that they put an ad in the newspaper and call themselves the Young Adventurers and then put no reasonable offer refused. So kind of like, we'll do anything for money. So it's not not murder, necessarily. It's like the OnlyFans of 1922. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I think they're, I, I think... You know what? I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what jobs they were hoping to get. It was just like, you're going to pay us? Great. Okay. Glad you contacted. <laughs> See you soon. Okay. Okay. So they are, they are destitute. Yep. Oh, for sure. Okay. So after leaving that tea shop, Tuppence is stopped by a man who gives his name as Edward Whittington. And he says that he'd overheard her talking in the tea shop about needing money and he offers her a job. She just has to come to his... Uh, office the next morning around 11 a.m. Wait, so he doesn't offer Tommy a job? They've they've left that when they left the tea shop, they've gone their separate ways. So he's just he's just come up to Tuppence afterwards and offered it. Well, he isn't so much offering her a job as saying like, I will offer you a job if you come to my office tomorrow morning. Ooh, sounds sounds a little sketchy. Me, I wouldn't go. But yeah, yeah, (laughs) I feel the same way. But Tuppence is like, you know, just had a piece of toast for dinner. And so she's 
on board. Yeah. Okay. No, I I can see being in a situation. Um, okay. So let me guess. The next chapter is is her going to this guy's office. It's not even the next chapter. It's like the next page. Oh wow! I get the kissy. This pacing nonstop. <laughs> yeah. So she she heads she heads to his office and he basically offers her a hundred pounds to go to Paris and stay in a they call them a pensionnat, like a a girl's boarding school where you like you know learn how to be delicate and like walk around with a book on your head kind of making Ooh, yeah. this up but that's what i picture <laughs> like a like a my fair lady kind of thing like yeah, yeah, yeah. so okay. he, he's saying like all you have to do is go there and you you'll have to say that you're my ward and of course you're reading this and going like this is too good to be true and tuppence is thinking the same thing but at the same time 100 pounds is 100 pounds and she gets to go to paris all expenses paid. Like, that's sounding pretty good. But okay. what does it for her is she goes, uh, but if you're offering the young adventurers a job, what is Tommy going to do? And that's, so that's kind of you were saying. She's not leaving him to dry. And Mr. Whitting- Whittington is like, uh, no, this job's just for you. And she goes, well, then I guess I can't take it. Sorry, but it has to involve both of us. And so then he, like, backpedals and's like, oh, okay, maybe... Maybe we can find something for Tommy to do. So clearly he really wants Tuppence for this, whatever it is. Huh. Okay. I, I think some alarm bells are going off with this uh, Edward Whittington guy. <laughs> but I think I'm glad I'm glad she'll have at least Tommy around to kind of look out for her. She she mm-hmm. may survive this book yet. Mm-hmm. So then it then we kind of take a different turn because he asks her for her name. She hadn't given to that point and she doesn't want to give her real name. So she thinks of the first thing that comes to her head and gives her name as Jane Finn. And Whittington like goes like pale, like he immediately like looks terrified and goes, how did you know that name? And uh, she kind of goes, what do you mean? And he goes, did Rita tell you? Hmm. Okay. And so Tuppence is, Tuppence is literally thinking, I just made up this name. What are you talking about? And so she says, I think, something to that effect of, like, what if I just made up the name? And he goes, yeah, you would say that. Okay, what, who, how much do you know? Like, who do you work for? How much do I have to pay you to, like, buy you off? Whoa, okay. Yeah. Bad, bad call on the name, girl. Yeah. So at this at this point, kind of unfortunately, the secretary comes in saying there's a phone message. So Whittington tells her, okay, here's 50 pounds for now. Come back tomorrow and we'll discuss the rest. Crazy. So she gets out with 50 pounds. Like, not bad for that time period. If she doesn't come back, like, she's still 50 pounds richer. But I feel like this book yeah. wouldn't go on if she, if she didn't come back. <laughs> that was the end of the story. So she made 50 pounds and that's uh that's the mystery, Emily. So what do you, you think? You didn't get that one in advance. <laughs> yeah, I bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> that could be your April Fool's mystery. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's really planning in advance. April. Gosh. I'm just trying to make it to November. Yeah. <laughs> and Tuppence, she's just trying to make it to the next morning. Yeah. Well, with 50 pounds, she she goes and meets up with Tommy and kind of tells him everything and they go out for a nice dinner. (laughs) (laughs) And he tells her the name Jane Finn didn't come from nowhere. When we were at the coffee shop or at the tea shop the day before, I had mentioned to you that on the street I had heard some guys talking and they had said the name Jane Finn. So I had put it into your head. And so now they're kind of like, who is this Jane Finn girl? Like, what's up with her? 
Okay, well, that makes me feel better. I, I thought Agatha Christie would have had a bit of a stretch if this girl had literally come up with this name, like, out of her head that happened to match. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, yeah, they're kind of playing it off a bit, being like, no, 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 it's not out of the blue. You did have, you had the name on your head. Okay, and I assume the guys talking about it was, like, Edward Whittington and company. So, okay, it's, it's all coming together. Yeah. So they decide that they'll, they're gonna, they want, they want to, this is like a mystery now, right? Like they want to find out. They don't just want to get money from Whittington. They want to find out. They want to find out who Jane Finn is and what's why he's so upset that they know about her. And so they plan to the next day when Tuppence goes back to Whittington's office. Tommy will wait outside because they don't think Whitt- Whittington will recognize him. And when Whittington leaves the office later in the day, Tommy will follow him and like okay. kind of find out where he lives or just see where he goes. Okay, I can see that. They've, uh, they like, sense that there's, like, something amiss here and they, they want to yeah. check it out. Yeah. So so the next day they do that, uh, Tuppence goes up to the office. It's, like, an office building. He's on whatever floor. And she gets to the floor and there's – no one answers the door. And so she's kind of walking around and a, a clerk comes out of another office and goes, oh, you're looking for, like, Whitting- like Whittington's office? Uh, they moved out. There's no one there anymore. Whoa. So, yeah, it's, like, they cleared out. They're gone. Okay, so I, I okay, I'm feeling like he cleared out because he thought like whatever secret he had was about to like come undone and he was going to be exposed. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, this makes this more interesting. I don't know where they're gonna. I have no idea where they're gonna go from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's not. There's not much. So they decide. Well, you know, they were gonna put that ad in the paper as the Young Adventures. Why don't they put an ad in the paper asking for any info about Jane Finn and see what turns up. I feel like they've lost the plot on this, like, making money scheme. But okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit. I think, honestly, they're, like, with 50 pounds. Well, I think they spent 10 the first night, like, <laughs> eating fancy. But now that they're, like, you know, recognizing that they don't have a lot of money. Like, 50 pounds is a lot. But now that they only have 40 pounds, they're going to be more conservative. And they're kind of talking about how 40 pounds can go a long way. So I, they're, they're not too, too worried. Yeah, okay. Sweet, okay. They're, uh, the adventurers have a mission. Yes. So two days later, they get they get some letters. They get two letters. And so they open the first one together. Well, they open them both together. But the first one is from a Mr. Carter. And the second one is from a Mr. Julius P. Hersheimer. And both of them are just offering. They have they don't say anything in the letters. They just start offering info and give them like a, a, a location at a time to come see them to get the information. Well, yeah, I wouldn't just send my uh, my info off. I feel like there'd be no, no guarantee. Yeah. So they decide to go see Mr. Carter first. Mr. Julius P. Hersheimer, he's staying at the Ritz. And so they're kind of hoping to go to him around lunchtime and see if he'll buy them food. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember working with like clients at the co-op and it was always like, try and make the lunch meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing the same thing. So they go to see Mr. Carter and Tommy recognized him at once as an intelligence guy. So what I mean by that is like someone working in what what's the British one called? Oh, MI6. Yes. MI- like that kind of MI5? thing. He's a he's a he's a top dog somewhere in that organization. How did Tommy recognize him? Is he is he wrapped up in the So Tommy had been it was it, he recognized him from the war. So the war has just ended. Tommy had been a uh I forgot, I, I think they mentioned what he was, but he, he had been serving in some capacity and had seen him in, like, military uniform and so knew 
that he was involved with. Okay. Maybe he didn't know he was involved with intelligence, but he knew he was high up in the military. Okay. Okay. So he's basically, he sent this letter because he wants to know what they know. Like, who's advertising about this Jane Finn in the newspaper? They, they really should have seen that coming. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're new to this, right? They started a couple days ago. <laughs> so they tell him all they know, which is very little. And he kind of goes, interesting. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. And then he shares with them the story. So now we're going to get, like, here's, here's what's going on. This guy must not be a very good intelligence guy. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, let me, let me tell you yeah. what's up. Yeah, I, I can't imagine this happens in real life, but uh, I don't know. I guess he trusts Tommy. I don't know why. I don't think they'd ever, like, they'd worked closely together. Maybe 1922 is a simpler time. Yeah. For the benefit of the story, he fully trusts them. Okay, cool. So what do we learn from him? So he says that during the war, before the, the U.S. had joined the war, a, treat, a draft treaty had been written up in America and there was a messenger tasked with bringing it to England on the Lusitania, the, the ship that had sunk. Oh, and in the prologue, they, okay. In the prologue, yeah, exactly. And so they never specify what the treaty was about, but the idea was that at the time during the war, it would have been super beneficial to the Allies, but if it got into the wrong hands, it would have been it would have been a bad thing. And then once the war ended, it wasn't about that big a deal anymore. Like the treaty didn't matter as much. So the fact that it had never turned up uh, they didn't. They weren't too worried because it was like, oh, okay. Even if even if the you know the other side of the war had gotten their hands on it, they didn't use it, so it doesn't matter. But then, okay, now can I England... can I make a prediction before yes. I get more information? I yes. bet that that the girl who received the package on the boat from the boat that was about to sink, I bet she was Jane Finn. <laughs> okay. 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 Keep going. So so now that the war is over and it's been some time. There's like uprest in England. And so there's like talk of kind of like a revolution or the bouts of it. And this this draft treaty, if it were to come to light and the British population were to see it, it would be detrimental for the British government. Like it would, it would fall into anarchy. And so the fact that it never turned up is a big deal now. And they think that there's this like underworld gang led by the infamous Mr. Brown, this Mr. Brown character who they think is in charge of the gang. And they think that either they have, they know where the paper, they have the paper or they know where the paper is, this draft treaty. Okay. And Mr. Brown, he's new. We haven't heard of this guy yet. No, no, Mr. Brown is new. And so we're, we're just kind of hearing a little bit about it. So, so, so that man who had given the paper like had had that oil skin packet and given it to the to the young woman, his body had been found with no papers on it. So they, they, again, either they thought that either he gave it away or it had been taken from him. And there was also they'd heard talk that he had been talking to a young woman on the boat before it had sunk. And that young woman was Emily. <gasps> Jane Finn. Jane Finn, you're right. Take that, Matt. I made a good <laughs> prediction. <laughs> oh my gosh, Emily. <laughs> Poor Matt. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Edit that out. Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> He's, you know, he does have to listen to the podcast to know that you talked about him. So we'll find out. I won't say anything. Matt, are you listening? <laughs> well, we work at the same <laughs> company now. So if I don't receive any oh. angry messages, we'll, uh, we'll know if he's a real fan. <laughs> yeah. Keep me posted. <laughs> <laughs> so they tracked Jane Finn, like the, the British government tracked her through Ireland. But then as soon as she took, was supposed to be like either taking a ferry or a train from Ireland to England, 
they lost they lost sight of her and they haven't known where she's been for the last like five or so years okay that's a that's a long time but i guess these papers have only recently gained importance so yeah yeah so they weren't they didn't they didn't beforehand it was kind of like i think the idea of being able to track someone was yeah you lose sight of people all the time in that time period so it wasn't shocking it was also the war like there there was a lot of stuff going on yeah, no, I, I have no idea how you track someone back then. Just, like, a- ask around. Put ads in the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Ask for info. <laughs> so, so he talks of this infamous Mr. Brown, and he says, so it's, we don't think it's his real name. He just goes by Mr. Brown. And he doesn't, we don't think very many people know he's the figurehead because he acts like no one rec- oh how do you describe it? No one recognizes him. Like he's, he's not got a super recognizable personality or features. And so Tuppence remembers at that moment that the clerk that had come into Whittington's office with the phone message when she had been there, Whittington had called him Brown. Ooh, what a, what a good memory on Tuppence. Yeah, (laughs) truly. (laughs) But uh, uh, Mr. Carter, the intelligence guy goes, yeah, that's normal. Uh, Mr. Brown seems to play a lot of, like he pretends to be, lower members of the gang when in reality he's he's running the show oh crazy so we think this well okay we kind of knew edward whittington was kind of sketchy with this like go to paris for me sort of act yeah so okay so we so okay i bet he's tied up in this gang that has uh, access to these papers yes and so carter thinks that as well and he thinks that the reason they were trying to hire tuppence and send her to a the pensionat in paris was because mm-hmm. jane finn's Final destination was supposed to be France during the when she was came over during the war, and so they they think that Mr. Brown's gang was going to use Tuppence to pretend to be Jane Finn, like she would be like a, a dupe. Oh wow, mm-hmm. man! Well, good good thing that job didn't pan out. That would uh, <laughs> that would be pretty shady. Yeah. So, Mr. Carter agrees to hire them as sleuths, all expenses paid, so like <laughs> private investigators. Uh, obviously, why wouldn't he? <laughs> he has like all of the british government's resources and he has like these two like poor youngsters will be good spies for me i think he, he says like well my actual spies haven't found any information and you seem to have found more than them already just by like by accident so give it a shot sure <laughs> cool well i i'm excited for them to uh, get to the bottom of this <laughs> So they go to see Julius Hersheimer next. I'm going to call him Julius from for the rest of the book. And he says that he is Jane's cousin. So he's come from America to find her. And he has this whole backstory about how his his father and Jane's mother had been estranged. And so he had never actually met her before. Uh, but when his father had died and he had inherited all this money, he had decided that you know, these past estrangements were behind them and he was going to try and find his cousin. This really sounds like one of those like internet scams. Like it's like, I'm a distant relative who has come into a lot of money. <laughs> like, <laughs> give me your bank account info and I'll send it to you. <laughs> it does, except for he is staying at the Ritz and does buy Tommy and Tuppence lunch. So he is, he's got, he's at least got some money. Okay. Okay. So he has money that we've confirmed. Is yeah. he Jane's cousin? Does he have her best interests at heart? I, I, I don't know. I'm not sold. Okay. Yeah. So they they decide, they tell him that they're investigators because basically the one they're asking about Jane, he's like, why do you want, like, I want, I, I sent you a letter because I hoped you'd know about her. Like, I haven't found her yet. Like, why are you asking me questions? 
And so they kind of have to tell him what's going on a little bit. And he shares all that about his family. And then he says he's really frustrated because this Scotland Yard detective is coming to see him again. He's like, it's it's ridiculous. Like they were just here to see me this morning and I gave them the only photo I have of Jane Finn. And like, they've already taken the picture. What more can they want? And it clicks in Tommy and Tuppence's mind that, yeah, why is there a second Scotland Yard detective coming? And so they ask, what was the name of the first inspector that came this morning? Was it was it uh, Edward Whittington or Mr. Brown? Yeah, it was Inspector Brown. <gasps> and so, yeah, they kind of go, oh, man. And that's the only photo that exists of Jane Finn. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So the bad guys, uh, one for the bad guys getting this photo. Yeah, that seems so. So the Tommy and Tuppence decide that because, you know, it's all expenses paid, they're going to stay at the Ritz. And so they do. And the next day they kind of are trying to figure out like what clues do they have like what information do they have to go on right now and they realize that they have that one name edward whittington had said who did you hear this from it wasn't rita was it so they have this one name rita Mm, okay and they're kind of thinking you know what it would make sense for the gang to have had a woman on the louisitania because she would have you know she would have survived and like been been on lifeboats and so they're wondering if they can find a woman by the name of Rita on the Louisiana. So they get like a list of who had been on the boat, but it's all last names. And so they have to go around to these houses in London, kind of basically knocking on doors and asking, trying to get information out of them. That sounds incredibly inefficient, but <laughs> I, I, I feel like that it must pan out in some way. <laughs> well, it does. So Tommy, Tommy is pretending that he's getting names for people to register to, to vote and they get to this one house where there is a Mrs. Vandermeer living. And her first name, they find out, is Marguerite. But mm-hmm. she goes by Rita. Crazy. Okay, so Rita Vandermeer. Correct. She was on the boat with Jane mm-hmm. Finn. Mm-hmm. And clearly has some sort of intelligence into the transaction that went down. It would seem so. Yeah. Okay. So when Tommy... Tommy has been doing all the asking because he's... I don't know, he, he's a better actor than Tuppence, maybe. And so he gets back down the steps and ta- Tuppence quickly pulls him out of view because she is seeing leaving Mrs. Vandermeer's apartment is none other than Mr. Whittington. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of tying together. Okay, so we think Rita's one of the bad guys, perhaps. It would seem perhaps. so. Yeah. Yeah, unconfirmed. So so Tuppence tells Tommy, it's Mr. Whittington, another man, and uh Tuppence tells Tommy, you follow them because he knows what I look like. And I'll, you know, I'll figure something else out. I'll do something else. And so he follows them to a restaurant and is trying to kind of like listen in on their their conversation while they're eating lunch. And it seems that the other man is called Boris. That's it's Whittington and Boris. Okay, so Tommy is following Whittington and Whittington goes to lunch with Boris. Okay, okay. Yeah, so both 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 Whittington and Boris had left Mrs. Vandermeer's house together. Ah, but okay. Tuppence had only recognized Whittington. Perfect. Okay. So he's trying to listen in, but it's it's too loud in the restaurant and they're talking pretty quietly. So he doesn't hear very much. The only phrase he does hear completely is, an archbishop would swear she was his mother. She gets the voice right every time. An arch- Can you say that again? An archbishop would swear she was his mother. She gets the voice right every time. Crazy. 
I, I have no idea what that means. It is. It's tricky, right? Because he's. It's a. It's a snippet of a conversation. It's one sided. Uh, yeah. Who's? Who's? Okay. I assume the she was. Okay. This is. These are my guesses. I assume the she was probably Rita because they had just left and they were talking mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. The his. I don't know. And why would you need to pretend to be someone's mother? Like what? What? What special privileges <laughs> would that grant you? <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, we'll find out. I'm sure we will. Keep it, keep it in mind. <laughs> So from lunch, the two men walk to the train station and Whittington buys a ticket. So Tommy's like, oh gosh, okay, they're splitting up. And so he he thinks quickly because the train's leaving in half an hour. And so he quickly calls Julius at the Ritz and tells him, I need your help. Get to the train station as quickly as possible. Okay. So he, when Whittington gets there at like the last minute and Tommy hands him a train ticket and points out Whittington and says, you're following that guy and then pushes him onto the train And then Tommy goes to follow the other man, Boris. And he follows him all the way to a a house in Soho in London. And hears he can hear the the man Boris like has there's like clearly a secret knock that he does. And then a man comes and opens the door and he's let in. And so Tommy quickly goes and repeats the knock. And when the guy comes to open the door, he goes code word. And Tommy just like thinks of the first thing that comes to his head and says, Mr. Brown and is let in. He gets let into the house. Well, that was a good guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it has to be for a book. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, man, he definitely got the worst task. I, uh, I'd i like to be sitting <laughs> gently on that train. Yeah, it is. It's pretty freaky. So he's in this house and he's like, okay, now what? So he goes up the stairs because that seems to be what you do. And there's a door that looks like it's probably like where, where this, where something's happening, but he, you know, he's not sure if he should knock or go in or whatever. So he finds like a recess in the hallway that he's able to hide behind. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being really lucky that he does because a couple more people show up and every time they do and come up the stairs, they give a number. So like I'm, I'm number 14. And then like it's checked off on a list to make sure that number 14 is the correct person that should be arriving. So everyone's, you know, accounted for. And he does. He would have given the wrong number, probably. Okay. Yeah. So he wouldn't have been able to make it past that like second layer of security. Yes. Back. Yeah. Exactly. So he waits a little bit, and he sees this one man pass through who gives his number as number one, and it's a uh, they. What do they call him? They uh, like maybe he. They say he looks Russian or he looks something or other. Okay. And so he goes in, and then the door the door gets shut. And so he's like, okay, how am I going to get in? He tries to open that door just to crack, but it's locked. What he does find is there's another bedroom down the hall. And when he goes into there, he finds a connecting door between that second bedroom and the room that everyone's meeting in. So he's able to open that connecting door just to crack and hear what's going on in the meeting room. Oh, okay. Okay, so just Tommy is listening in in this meeting. Is but yeah, that... basically. Okay. So he... He's listening in and the the kind of however many people are there, they're discussing how to bring down the British Empire. That's like the main point of discussion. And so they're they're kind of talking about how are they going to do this? And it's it's a whole bunch of things like it's it's a bunch of things all com- accumulating to to cause this destruction. So first, the unrest in Ireland, they're like, can we supply more weapons to Ireland? Can we can we kind of pull in more money and uh, and stuff there to cause more unrest? Uh, what about the miners? The miners are really upset. Like that union is is on the verge of striking. Like let's 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 
keep that going. And they're talking about like stuff going on in Moscow, like just, you know, crazy talk, but it's, it's from every angle. Okay. So it's, it's one of these, like, I feel like I see these a lot in Sherlock Holmes where it's like this like super organized criminal network bent on like yes. bringing down the world as we know it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, so they, the last thing they discuss is that the labor leaders, so I, I, I forgot the parties in, in England, but whatever parties in power, and then there's the labor party, which is okay, smaller, yeah. but. Um, For the people. Maybe, yeah, le- more left-leaning, I guess. I feel like they like unions is the only thing I feel like I know about them. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we'll say. So they are, they're planning to declare a general strike on the 29th. So it's like a fixed date. But they need to give them the document first. And so then the talk kind of goes to this document. And so they say, someone says in the meeting, but only the girl can know where it is. It's a special case. And so they're about to kind of talk about what's going on with the girl when Tommy is hit from behind on the head. Okay. So you won't believe it, but uh, we're going to jump cut to Tuppence. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The pause too, Caitlin. I, I want to know what happens, but I guess, I guess I'll have to wait. <laughs> oh, they've done it on purpose. There's got to be some suspense. It's a, it's a page turner, and I'm not even turning oh, yeah. the pages. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Tuppence is chatting to the lift boy of the flats where Mrs. Vandermeer lives. So it's, you know, like an apart- apartment building. And because of the time period, there was a boy that would have, like, waited in the elevator and let people up. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So she's trying to get, like, information out of him about, like, you know, what's what's this woman like? Uh, yada, yada, yada. She pretends to be an American detective. And because she saw that he had, like, a, a mystery book in his back pocket or something like that. And so she knows that he likes thrillers. And so, like, she's playing up all the movie stereotypes of spies. And... He tells her that the parlor maid is leaving because she doesn't like the position. Mm-hmm. And he also agrees that he can get her the job and pretend that she's a cousin of his so that she can become the parlor maid of Mrs. Vandermeer's apartment. Oh, wow. What a, what a win mm-hmm. for Tuppence. What a great, great yeah. spot work on her part. Yeah. So she tells, she then I think goes back to the Ritz and sends a letter to Mr. Carter kind of like explaining her plan and now it's like the evening and there's no sign of Tommy or Julius that, that entire night. So she's a little worried. And then the next day she goes to Mrs. Vandermeer's apartment and takes up the position. Like she starts right away. She's not she's not let, letting any time. Hey, see, I, I totally wouldn't know what to do if I was just like hired on the spot as a parlor maid. I'd be like, I guess I'll like no. fluff, fluff the pillows down. <laughs> like, I don't know what you do. <laughs> so she starts that up. And that evening, a man comes to dinner, and it she recognizes him as one of the men that Tommy had been following, but not Mr. Whittington. So it's the it must be the Boris man, and he introduces himself as like a Count something something. We'll we'll call him Boris. Okay, Count Count Boris comes. Count Boris, yep. <laughs> and so Tommy, she's not able to hear anything from the kitchen because she's supposed to be like serving serving dinner but she slips out through mrs vandermeer's bedroom onto there's like a balcony and so along the balcony she can hear what's going on in the dining room through the window okay a lot of of listening in on this book yes definitely so there the two of them mrs vandermeer and count boris are talking about this man called sir james peel edgerton so long name i'm just going to call him sir james 
Okay. Uh, but it seems he's like a, he's a lawyer. He's a pretty famous lawyer in England. And Boris is kind of upset with Mrs. Vandermeer because she's been like going out with him because I don't know, like he's a, he's a powerful guy. And she's like, you know, that's, that's, that's my type. Um, but he's a, like he studies criminology. And so he's, Boris is like, you're being really dumb. This guy's going to find you out. He's going to find out that you're a criminal. Like, you can't you can't hide from him and uh mrs vandermeer is you know she she believes in her powers of seduction and that kind of thing she's like i think i'm gonna be fine he's uh he's too into me to see uh see any of the red flags yeah (laughs) uh and so the next the next day boris you know leaves i don't think they talk about anything else of importance and the next day this sir james guy shows up to visit mrs vandermeer And as he's leaving, I don't think he stays too long. He looks at Tuppence and goes, you haven't been doing this kind of job long. And he hints to her, he he kind of says that he can tell that she, he can tell that she hasn't been a parlor maid before. Mm. He's supposed to be this criminology guy. So I feel like, you know, he's, Mm. he's he's proven he, uh, he's pretty good at it. Like he's got powers of production. Yeah. Yeah. He can tell. And then he kind of hints to her that there are plenty of other good places these days and a change would do her no harm. So she kind of takes it as he's hinting that Mrs. Vandermeer might not be the best employer and she should she get a new job. Oh, okay. So maybe uh, Rita Vandermeer isn't as good as hiding her sort of criminal secrets mm-hmm. as she thinks she is. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Huh. Okay, do you think maybe Sir James is like, actually a detective who's dating her to like get to the truth of it maybe maybe uh, okay I, I guess you can't weigh in but uh that's that's what i'm, kind of <laughs> I'm <thinking>. sorry <laughs> <laughs> i have to especially after i me and eric were accused of or i was accused of giving eric too much information i've really been trying to stay out of things <laughs> a, a neutral third party yeah <laughs> So Tuppence gets her day off on Friday and she goes back to the hotel to kind of find out from Julius or Tommy what's been going on. And only Julius is there. And so now it's been like two days and neither of them have seen Tommy this whole time. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wait, Tommy's hit over the head. Yeah. So we still haven't found out what's happened to Tommy, but they Julius then is able to explain like his story. So he had followed Whittington on the train and he basically followed him all day to this building uh, and I forget what the town was called, like a town outside of London. And it was it was kind of evening at the time. And so Julius had gone into the building and Whittington had kind of climbed up a tree outside to be able to see in to like a second floor window. Okay. I bet, I bet he looked ridiculous. <laughs> probably. But it's evening, so no one could see him. Or nighttime. Okay. So he had seen Whittington talking to a hospital nurse and the nurse had kind of come to the window to, he thinks, check if it was raining, but like because of the moonlight, he was worried that she was going to see him. So he had like shuffled around and the branch had broke and he'd fallen out of the tree. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) So he had woken up in the building. It ended up being like a private hospital type place. And there was, oh, or like a nursing home is how they describe it. And the doctor in charge had been Dr. Hall. And so Julius had decided like it was best just to be straight with him and had told him basically he had told like 
not the whole truth, but he had said like, oh, I thought I recognized, like, oh, I think he comes out and says he's looking for this girl because he's like in love with her, which he's really talking about his cousin, Jane Finn. Uh, and then he also like mentions how he thought he recognized Whittington going into the building. And so he's like trying to get a closer eye. I, you know, the ridiculous story, but that's what he tells the doctor. Not not the best backstory, like, uh, but you know, it's no. better than the truth. No. So the doctor says that he's never heard the name Jane Finn before. There's no one staying there. And that um, when Julius asks if he can see Whittington or the nurse that Whittington had been talking to, he says, oh, I'm sorry. No, Whittington went, he's gone back to the city already. And the nurse left with a patient. Like they've gone, they've gone out to another, another location. Oh, okay. So we don't know who Whittington was there to visit. No. Okay. Hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think of like, a, like how this is going to end, but like, there's so many variables right now. Like I, I don't even know what a resolution would be like finding the girl, finding the papers, stopping this animal. <laughs> like there's, there's a lot going on. There is. And we're... I know it. It's ten twenty, and we should theoretically start at nine. Uh, there's still a lot to tell you, so I'm sorry. No, this is great. <laughs> Keep going. Okay, what, what happens I guess, next? Okay, so what happens next is Tuppence tells Julius her whole story about Mrs. Vandermeer and about like why they had started following Whittington and everything, and. She finishes by saying that she's worried about what Sir James had said to her. And she's really thinking that this, like, this must have been a hint of some kind. And she's also thinking, like, if he is this, like, student of criminology, she's thinking maybe they could appeal to him for help. Like, he might be able to, you know, have connections or things like that. Okay. But Julius really doesn't like the idea. He doesn't want to talk. He doesn't want to tell Sir James anything. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's a good idea. So... Well, Tuppence wins over and they go to see Sir James and he admits to Tuppence, he's like, I wasn't warning you, but I will admit that if I had a sister and my sister had to earn her own living, I would not want her working for Mrs. Vandermeer. So that's huh. as a lawyer. He's like a, a lawyer, you know, so we won't give like a straight answer. Hmm. Okay. So he's like, this this woman's shady, but we, we don't have a ton of background on, on what Sir James does, except he's like somehow a, a criminal solver guy. Yeah, you kind of, you got the sense, like, he's a famous lawyer, so he's, like, gained all this respect through that, and then he must have money, and I feel like that does a lot, and then he's a sir, so he must, like, have, like, family ties Mm -hmm. to something, like, he must have just been born into, I don't know. Okay, yeah. We we get a general outline of his character, if not all the details. And he is, he does kind of give off that impression of, like, he doesn't, it's really just like they're playing into this lawyer character of like, he's not going to give away anything that he, he doesn't have to. Cool. 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 So, so Tuppence's main reason for going to Sir James was kind of, she wants help finding Tommy. Like she's really worried about him. He's been gone for how, like, I think they go to see Sir James on a Sunday. So he's been gone for like five since Wednesday. So like five days now, they're really worried about him. And he he kind of thinks and he's like, I think I can get it out of Mrs. Vandermeer where Tommy is. Because he thinks that Mrs. Vandermeer, like he agrees that she has something to do with, with all of this. Yes, she, she probably knows. Okay. Yeah. So the plan is right now is that Tuppence is going to go back. She's on her, I think, afternoon out. So she'll go back at 9.30 p.m. as scheduled because it would like... It would look fishy if she showed up earlier because it's like, you know, you get one afternoon out and you're not going to come back on time. So she's going to come back at 930. 
And then Sir James will show up at 10 p.m. with Julius okay. driving the car, like the getaway vehicle. Mm, okay. So I think Tuppence and Julius go out for dinner, but then she gets too excited. So she's like, I'll just walk by the apartment. I won't go in. I'll just walk by. And when she does, Albert is there and goes, oh, Mrs. Vandermeer is moving out right now. What? Yeah. Okay. And so Tuppence is kind of like, okay, this is important. So she tells Albert, she gives him directions to call Julius and Sir James to get them there to the apartment. And she basically goes up to the apartment and like pretends like nothing. She's just coming back early with like a stomachache or something. Crazy. There's a lot of, there's a lot of this like rapid moving out. Yeah. Which I guess, oh, whatever. Yeah. It's a trope. It's a (laughs) stereotype. Yeah, I wonder where all these people are moving. Just like I, I just signed a lease. They're pretty hard to just like up and break in the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> I mean, if you just leave and stop paying, I guess in this time period, if you're everything crash, like they can't find you. Caitlin's like, what are they gonna do? Sue me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm living in my parents' basement, so hopefully not. <laughs> like I wasn't even paying to begin with. <laughs> not yet cool okay so tuppence is upstairs sir james and julius are hopefully on their way mr Va- mrs vandermeer is in the middle of moving out yes and so so tuppence gets up there and she's trying to play it off like she's just coming home normally but mrs vandermeer is having none of it and goes i know who you are i know you're faking it and pulls out a gun oh my god she gets tuppence into into one of the bedrooms and she says she threatens to shoot her unless she drinks this this drink, which Mrs. Vandermeer has like added like poison or something to. And so Tuppence is freaking out, obviously, and she thinks that her best course of action is to act hysterical, like start crying, pretend that like you don't want to die, yada yada yada. And this this ends up being the move because Mrs. Vandermeer goes, oh, hush, it's not really poison. It's just a, something to make you sleep. Like you'll wake up in the morning, just drink it. Like it's not that big a deal. You're not going to die. I've, I've, I've heard that's the move, honestly. Like if someone's trying to like kidnap you, like just just go go ballistic on them. Yeah. Because who okay. wants to deal with that? Yeah. It's like you're crazy and just leave you yeah. alone. Yeah. So this, it, it not only works for that to like kind of get information, then when she goes to like, she's been crying, she goes, okay, I'll drink the drink. Mrs. Vandermeer like goes like, oh, thank God she's going to do it. Let's off her guard. Tuppence takes the glass and throws it in Mrs. Vandermeer's face. And during her like kind of freaking out, she grabs the gun and takes it away from her. Okay, crazy. Tup- I want to right, for- say right here and now, I would not be able to do that. I, I don't have it in me. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was about to say for like some random girl with like no training, she's she's kicking butt. Yeah, for real. Cool. Okay, so now Tuppence has a gun and she's alone with Mrs. Vandermeer. Correct. So they're sitting in this bedroom and they she gets her to sit down at like a desk. They're sitting across from each other. And she had realized for the like literal three days or whatever she had been working for Mrs. Vandermeer that she could be easily bought off. Like it seemed like she just really likes money. And so mm-hmm. she, Julius... He's he's like he's a millionaire. Like he's super rich from I think oil money from his father back home in America. And he had offered he had said he would offer up to a million US dollars as a reward, which is like 200 British pounds at the time. Oh my god. And okay. so 
Tuppence knows this, and so she offers Mrs. Vandermeer £100,000 to know where Tommy and Jane are and to identify Mr. Brown. And Mrs. Vandermeer agrees. She's like, yeah, okay, £100,000 is a lot of money. Crazy. Also, I guess, like, Julius also, like, isn't he, like, with the government? Like, I, I feel like he's got a, got a lot of resources he can he can leverage here. I, I would say Sir Sir James would might be closer to the government as like a lawyer. Julius is just like an American. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. I was I was confusing Julius and Mr. Carter. Okay, yeah, Julius oh, is the cousin. Yes, Julius is the cousin, Mr. Carter, yes, with the government. With the government. Okay. Yeah, the government I don't think is offering any money. They're like they're basically saying if if anyone if you say you know us, we'll deny it. Like we're mm-hmm. not helping you at all. You're on your own. But we'll give you uh, money. Yeah, I guess it's the yeah. intelligence, so it's a little bit, like, yeah. under the table. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So it seems like she's about to kind of, like, start spilling the beans when all of a sudden she, like, shrieks and faints. And it was at, at that moment um, Sir James and Julius Hersheimer come in the door, like, come into the apartment. Mm, bad timing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, okay, continue. So quickly, Sir James, like, bends down to, like, feel her pulse and then sends Julius to go find Brandy somewhere in the house to, like, because that's, like, the ideal way to wake someone up from fainting. I don't know if you know that, but it is. What are they going to do? Like, like pour it down her throat? (laughs) I think basically, I think they kind of, like, try and, like, they sit her up a little bit and, like, I think they pour a little bit into her mouth and it wakes her up enough to, like, be able to drink it herself. Oh, my God. Okay. So from there, they get her to bed and they're kind of, like... Uh, I think Tuppence tells them what had been going on and they're like, okay, we'll let her sleep. And in the morning, like we'll get it out of her. Mm-hmm. And they decide to stay in the apartment and stay on the lookout for Mr. Brown because they're realizing Mrs. Vandermeer must've been like tipped off. Like they're kind of like, Mr. Brown is just this like unseeing all, or all seeing, all knowing power. Like he, he knows everything. They're kind of like, does he has, does he have dictaphones in the walls? Which when I say dictaphone, that's what they say. I think they just mean recording device. He does he have some sort of like extra special method of knowing what's what's going on because he's okay. Okay. <laughs> so they're they're planning to wait in the apartment. They're like not taking any chances. They're gonna stay up all night and then like in the morning they'll they'll get the info out of her. Okay. So they that's they stayed up all night and then when they go to find her in the morning, Tuppence like brings her in some tea and is like trying to wake her up and when she goes to touch her body, it's it's ice cold and they realize she's dead. Oh my god. Okay. And so when they all went to sleep, she was just, she had just fainted. Like she was yeah. dreaming. Yeah. And I, I, none of them went to, they put her to sleep, but they all stayed up. They they all stayed up together just oh to be my. safe. Huh. Uh, I think in a different room, like two, two, maybe two different bedrooms, but. Yeah. So yeah, they're trying to figure out like, did this, did he come in the window? Like, did he, they're, they're pretty sure he couldn't have come in the apartment during the night. And they call the. The, they call in a doctor and he thinks it was a overdose of a sleeping sleeping draught and they find in the in the brain that was it was the same maybe they they find the um sleeping drop it was the one that she mrs vandermeer had poured into the glass for uh tuppence and okay. it was now empty so they're thinking it must have been that huh. oh okay so maybe she drank the drink from Tuppence or someone poured it down her throat, but it was too much. Huh. So the, so Tuppence says when she had taken like the little bottle that she had poured into the glass, it, she'd only poured like a few drops in, like maybe like a quarter of the bottle and it's empty okay. the next morning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I guess, sorry. I guess Tuppence threw the glass at her. So that the one she originally poured down. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Okay, it could have it could have been a suicide. Hmm. Yeah. I no, I don't know. I think Mr. V- Mrs. Vandermeer had too much to live for, and she was about to get a hundred thousand mm. pounds. Okay, I don't True. think I don't think someone could have come into the house. I think that would have been too hard. I mm-hmm. I'm circling back. I think Julius is a is a no good character, and I think he did this to her. Hmm. Okay. Continue. Well, yeah. Let's let's find out more. So I think I think Julius and Tuppence were kind of maybe they were talking more about things that had gone on. And Sir James realizes that he actually knows Doctor Hall, the doctor that uh, had been in charge of that nursing home that Julius had followed Whittington to. Oh, okay, yeah. Sir James is more in this than I expected him to be. He's not just like some beau. He's a uh, he knows people. Yeah, that's and that's kind of like that's his like that's his whole thing is he does he's like well connected. Yeah, Sir James is kind of saying it might be like their last hope to talk to him because it's uh, they're trying to find the connections of like what what else can they do? Who else can they talk to? And so from him, they find out that Mrs. Vandermeer had actually entrusted a niece of hers to him who had uh, the niece had lost her memory. And so she had been staying in this nursing home for however a couple of years or however many years. Mr. Van- Mrs. Vandermeer had entrusted a niece. Oh, oh, I've. I bet that is Jane Finn, and she's been uh-huh. knocked out. Um, mm. But continue. Well, it, it would make sense because uh, Mrs. Vandermeer had said that she had lost her memory during the sinking of the Louisiana. <gasps> oh my gosh! Do you think Jane Finn knows nothing, and she's just confused? Uh, oh, maybe. Um, mm, or this, this could be a plant. Maybe, do, do you think this circles back to the like pretending to be the mother? Oh. I don't know. Keep going, Caitlin. I don't know if I'm going to solve this before it happens. <laughs> There's still time. There's still time. We got it. <laughs> so then, then they go, oh, perfect. Okay. Like they're kind of thinking, even though she wasn't uh, put into the care under the name Jane Finn, like this must be, this must be the girl. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, but she's not, she's not at my nursing home anymore. So like, I'm sorry, but like, I'd love for you to talk to her, but you can't. She's not there anymore. Mrs. Vandermeer took her back. Mm. Do you think she was the girl who was there last night who, or the other day that he went to visit and then they just missed her? I don't know. I don't know. We may not know. Keep no, that's it. That, no, that, you're right. And Dr. Hall says that. He goes, no, you remember that nurse that I said, like, that Whittington had been talking to? Yeah. She had left with Jane Finn that night after your fall. Oh, crazy. Okay. Yeah. So the doctor remembers it. Cool. So, so Tom. Man, if, if sorry, Julius hadn't Tommy. fallen, if Julius hadn't fallen out of that tree, he really could have got to the bottom of this a little quicker. <laughs> it is, you know, not everything can be perfect in these books. <laughs> <laughs> so Sir James kind of thinks that there's nothing left that can be done about to- Tommy, and so he really? kind of goes, yeah, and he's kind of. <laughs> It's it's interesting. So he's kind of he's not saying that to Tuppence, but he's kind of saying it to Julius, but like behind her back like he doesn't want to make her feel bad but he's kind of like i don't know i don't know what else is left and he goes home i feel i've never read a book where they just like abandon the main character they're like yeah no like too much trouble <laughs> to sort out of that one like he's he's gone <laughs> oh man yeah so she tuppence goes back to her room to meditate and kind of i mean obviously she's really upset this is like a childhood friend and while she's there a telegram arrives from tommy Okay. So, uh, I'm sorry, but more suspense, because now we're jumping back to what happened with Tommy. (laughs) 
crazy. Okay, well, I, at least we know that it does resolve itself, even if we don't know what happens between point A and point B. Yeah. So he, so he, he's been hit on the back of the head. That's where we left off with Tommy. And so he comes to, and he's basically, he's in that meeting room with all of those people who were meeting mm-hmm. and they're all still there. And he's like, oh, he's thinking, thank goodness they didn't kill me. Cause that was what he thought they would do. Yeah. And I think, I think they're kind of like going back and forth about being like, we're about to kill you. And he's going, he's trying to save his life by basically saying, there's a reason you didn't kill me right away. It's because you want to know what I know and mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you or I I have this information or he's trying to give away like he, he talks about because he knows he does know some things. He knows about Jane Finn. So he like name drops that. He talks about the Louisiana and so they are the gang is kind of like, yeah, they can't kill him yet. And so they agree to that and they end up putting him in a room on the third floor of this of this house. OK, with no windows. So he can't escape. Mm. Okay, so Tommy's in this secret society's house uh, trying to yep. beg for his life. Yeah. So so he gets up to that room. He's locked in, and he's kind of, like, exploring. There's basically nothing in there. And it's, like, you know, it's very grimy. There's a bed. And he he doesn't get brought dinner, so he's pretty hungry. So the next morning, he gets um, a French girl named Annette. She comes into the room, and he's trying to, like, get information out of her or, like, talk to her. But she's clearly very scared and doesn't want to say anything to him and like kind of gets out of the room as quickly as she can a french girl i wonder if she's from this french lady making boarding school Mm. Mm. okay so this this kind of that same like charade goes on every time that this girl brings him food until three days later when a couple of men come into the room and tie him up and they basically say we know who you are and we know that you know nothing and so you're going to die tomorrow morning. We're just tying you up just to make sure you can't get away. Crazy. What a shitty thing to do. I feel like if someone was going to kill me, I'd want them to just just do it. None of this like tying up suspenseful nonsense. Yeah. So they, they've kind of told him like we're we get in trouble if we killed you here. Like we need we're going to go dump your body in the ocean or something ridiculous. Again, there's your answer for why. Ah, Believe okay. it or not. we gotta wait till morning when we can drive to the ocean okay okay (laughs) so so annette goes into the room to pick up the the food tray and turns out the oil lamp and they kind of get upset with her and she's like oh but i always turn off the light at night and as she's doing that she slips a pen knife into tommy's hands oh awesome okay yeah, so this kind of makes him think there must have been a peephole somewhere in the room, and that's why she turned out the lights first, so that no one, whoever was watching, couldn't see in. Mm. And so he kind of recognizes that. And so he's able to, like, get his, you know, cuts his bonds, gets his feet all untied, and then he just has to wait. Wait till whatever whatever time they're coming to get him. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess, like, now that he's untied, he's he's still locked in a room. Yeah. <laughs> So he, he, as soon as he hears like footsteps coming up the stairs, he's ready. There had been some like pictures hanging on the wall. And so he's taking them off, one of them off and is waiting by the door. And as soon as the two men kind of like walk in, he smashes one of them over the head with a pitcher and then runs out the door and locks it, locking <laughs> them in the room. <laughs> it's like, a, this is like a total comedy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this would make a really fun movie. There, it probably exists. I've never really looked into Agatha Christie old movies, but they, they have made a lot of them. Well, now that I'm thinking about this from like a, a sort of a higher perspective, like it's called the secret adversary. Like I'm trying to figure out. Adversary. I, 
Sorry, I should never have told you what I thought it was called. <laughs> Go back and bleep that out. <laughs> Ad- <laughs> adversary. Um, yeah. yeah, like, I, I wonder who that is. Like, is that the organization? Is that, like, someone we thought, like, is, is Tommy the adversary? Like, I don't know. Mm, I don't know. A lot of possibilities. Okay, so Tommy just locked his captors in the room, and he's on the yeah. room. Yeah, so he's he's gotten out, but he hears... I think he hears people like he hears Norris downstairs. He can't just run down the stairs, but suddenly Annette's there and she pulls him up to the attic. And once he gets up there, he's like, what did you do this for? Like, there's no exit from here, but she's already kind of working away and shows him that she's tying a string to like an old pot or like an old vase. And she gives him the end and says, climb back down the ladder and hide in that recess. And when we let out your cap, like when we let out those two men, pull the string and they'll hear the crash upstairs and they'll go running up to the attic and you'll have been under the stairs and can run out. That's, that seems very contrived, but okay. Yes. <laughs> but it's got to work, Emily. It's got to work. <laughs> if you ever Tommy, I'd be like, oh, like, why not at this point? This has been such a show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he, this works, the distraction works and he goes and runs outside. And when he gets down to the bottom of the stairs, he notices that Annette did not come with him. And so he almost goes back up to get her, but she's clearly, she's not coming for some reason. He thinks like, he's kind of thinking at this point, like, was she actually a part of the gang? And just like, like, couldn't go, like, she could do a bunch of bad things, but like killing someone she couldn't do. And so he has to get out of there without her. So he runs away. I think they're like firing guns at him as he's running away. And he like dodges the bullets and gets out of there because it's like, you know, London. I don't know. Yeah. Once again, uh, Tommy and Tuppence display like otherworldly abilities for just like these two people who put a newspaper ad out. But like, you know what? I'm here for I'm here for these heroes. Definitely makes more fun. (laughs) Yeah. Like I like to think I could pull this kind of stuff off if like I just got thrust into this this underground world. (laughs) So, so as he's gotten out, he kind of, I think he goes to get himself some food at like a corner store and sees a newspaper stand with, in the front cover, there's this picture of a guy who he recognizes as number one of the gang. And it ends up being like a Russian revolutionary. Oh, okay. So, so he's like a, he's like a super well-known rich dude that no one has ever been able to like pin anything to, but everyone thinks that he's like, has his hands in like behind everything. Crazy. So he's like, okay, so there's that guy. And so then as soon as he's like eating something, because he's pretty hungry, he calls up Mr. Carter um, at his house and tells him everything. And so uh, Carter calls like the police and they search the house. But of course, it's no good. Everyone's already cleared out of there. They've moved out. They've moved out, Emily. A classic. (laughs) (laughs) So Tommy then goes back to the hotel. And when he gets there, him and Julius kind of exchange stories. And he's asking like, oh, where's where's Tuppence? And there's no sign of her. So they find out that she had been, uh, one of the hotel boys had delivered her a telegram and she had gone out to the train station. And so they go up to the room and find the telegram on the ground. And it says it's from Tommy and is calling Tuppence to go to the moat house in Yorkshire. Oh, it was a fake. It was a fake telegram. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like as soon as Tommy escaped... Because he didn't go straight back to the hotel, right? Like, he called on Mr. Carter and, like, ate something. Got they had fit. some time. Oh, crazy. Man, yeah. I, like, I feel like I'm going to listen to this episode again and hear all these things where I was like, oh, well, Tommy just sent a telegram, so clearly he's fine. I wonder how he escaped. <laughs> like, he was not fine. Okay. <laughs> so, 
so Tuppence has really been learning. Well, uh, unrelated, he did happen to be fine, but uh, the telegram <laughs> proves nothing. <laughs> okay, fair. So, so Tuppence has been lured to this like secondary location, um, the yes. Moors. You said it's it's called the Moat House in Yorkshire. The Mo- Moat House in Yorkshire. Okay, this, this yeah. is such a British book. Yeah. Oh, totally. So, so Tommy and Julius both like they immediately are like, okay, we're on it, we're going there, and they they kind of get to the train stop and they ask about the moat house and the the guy's like, yeah, it's like a few miles from here, and so they ask, oh, did this girl come by earlier today? And he's the the train guy's like, nope, nope, no one's been asking about the moat house, and they kind of get a lot of that, and they get to the moat house and it's like no one lives there and it's locked up, and when they get the key to go in from the person who's trying to rent it. It's all the floors are covered by a thick layer of dust. It doesn't look like anyone's walked there, but there, I think they find one of Tuppence's brooches in the yard. And so they're like convinced she's been there. And so they end up staying in the neighborhood for a week looking for Tuppence. Huh. Honestly, I, I don't know what's happening. Like she, she didn't make it into the moat house, but clearly she's been there because of that brooch, unless the brooch was planted but then I feel like she would have asked the train conductor, but maybe they paid him off. There, there's powerful forces at work. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, true. So there, I think, I think after a week, Julius is kind of getting a little restless. He's, I think he's thinking he's going to go tell the police. Like this is, they've wasted a week enough's enough. And so he heads back to London and he, he's, I think, heard from Sir James when he gets back to the Ritz. And so he quickly telegrams to Tommy and says, meet me at this station. Sir James has found Jane Finn. And so Tommy gets, gets on a train and they and heads off. The, the sketchy thing about telegrams, though, is it sounds like anyone can send it pretending to be anyone. So like, you know, yeah, Tom, Tommy's yeah. heading off based on this telegram info. We'll, we'll see who it's from, really. <laughs> So it, it's pretty quick. Next chapter, we get uh, we get that they meet Sir James in Manchester is where they are both heading. Sir Julius and Tommy meet back up. And he kind of exclaims that the girl had been hit by a car. And it sounds like she's gotten her memory back to a degree. Oh, yes. Okay. And that's why she, she was in that nursing home that Dr. Hall ran. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she had woken up after this car accident, she had woken up and given her name as Jane Finn, which she hadn't remembered previously, they don't think. So when Sir James had kind of like heard about this girl, he says that he had quickly transferred her to a doctor friend of his, and that's where she was now, but that they wouldn't be able to see her that night. They would have to wait till the morning because of the hospital protocol. Okay. So they they then tell Sir James about Tuppence's disappearance, and he's like I clearly upset so they go to see Jane Finn the next morning and she she's kind of just the doctor's describing to her them that she thinks she's waking up from being on the Louisitania like that's that's her last memory oh and she describes that was years ago right yeah it was years ago okay they're thinking that her memory has like reverted back to that last time that she she had her original memory Oh, okay. Sorry, I was dumb for a sec. I thought she's been out of it for the like the five years. She recently got hit by a car, and she's lost the last five years Correct. worth of memories. Okay, I'm Correct. with you. She's like she's gone back to remembering who she is, kind of thing. Yeah. So she describes to them how she had gotten off the the Louisitania. She remembers she remembers being in the the sail like the uh, lifeboats and guiding off the Louisitania, like getting to Ireland. 
And she just felt like people were following her and she was terrified about having this, like these papers in her possession. And so she had hidden them at this place called Hollyhead, which is where, where like the boat had landed. And she describes to them what like the rock had looked like in the kind of area. Okay. So the papers are as far as Jane Finn knows at this place called Hollyhead. Yes. Okay. Well, that's what she last remembers. Sweet. So Tommy and Julius are like quick to head off there. Um, Sir James is kind of, he's kind of going, like, I, I I agree, there's no way Mr. Brown could have known this. Like, we're hearing it for the first time, but you guys got to move quick because I'm worried about him. Mm-hmm. So they get, they get off as quick as they can. And on the train ride, Julius admits that he, part of the reason he had come over from America to find his cousin is because from that picture that he had had of her, he had, he had been in love with her, which seems ridiculous, but there's the story. Oh, wow. Well, I, I felt like there was a secret to come out of Julius. I thought he was going to be a bad guy. That cousin incest love is a little unpredicted. <laughs> so he's, he says he thought he had loved her, but when he had just met her, like this is, he's meeting his cousin for the first time in the hospital. He said that, it, yeah, he had just been the picture. Like in real life, uh, he, he hadn't had the same feelings for her. Can- can you imagine you're like Mr. Carter and you're like trying to salt, like stop the world from ending. And this random guy's like, man, I thought I loved my cousin, <laughs> but like, I don't really like her that much. You're like, what the fuck? This is so irrelevant. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a little weird. The, yeah, the whole cousin thing. So, so they get to, they get to Hollyhead and they find the right rocks. Like they're able to kind of from, from Jane's description, like pick out where it was and they find like the hole in the rock where she says she had hid the packet and Julius reaches in and pulls out the oil skin packet. And so they're pumped up and they, they cut open the, the seam, the, the stitches and tear it open and pull out the note and unfold it. And on the paper, it says with the compliments of Mr. Brown. <gasps> They're too late. Yeah. So they're just in shock and awe. So we still don't really know who Mr. Brown is. Like, he could be that Russian guy, but we don't We don't think so because he's more discreet. Uh-huh. Hmm. So, okay, let me, let me just pause this for a sec. So who okay. has seen Mr. Brown? The only person who has seen Mr. Brown and could identify him is Tuppence because uh, she saw him as Edward Whittington's assistant. But she's missing right now. So she, she also, that idea of like seeing him as the assistant and like theoretically, Julius had seen him as the inspector, but like Inspector Brown. But the idea is that like he's so unassuming that you wouldn't recognize him again. Like he's got that kind of personality. Hmm. Okay. I feel like, I feel like I have everything I need to solve this, but okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Wait, I've got a couple more chapters and then I'll ask you kind of like for an official guess. We are getting to the end, but there is a little more. Okay. Okay. Maybe uh, a few more clues. Definitely. This mm-hmm. book definitely isn't like a, a first chapter uh, a kind of book that you could solve. No, it. I don't think so. There's a lot. So t- Tommy's got a face that like these papers are in the hands of Mr. Brown now. And so he knows that kind of his next job is he has to go warn Mr. Carter. Like he has to let him know we like we failed. And so Carter is clearly up, like he doesn't show that he's upset, but Tommy can see it like in his eyes that he's like realizing all the things, like everything he has to do now to like kind of prepare for this, this date, the 29th that they know is approaching. It's like a, like a week away or something. 
And that's when the Labor Party is going to strike because they have yes. the papers now. Okay, yeah. Yes, that's the idea. So Mr. Carter also has some sad news of his own that he's he's like, I'm sorry, Tommy, you haven't heard this yet. But Tuppence's clothes were found washed up on the Yorkshire coast. That means nothing to me. I think Tuppence is alive and they're framing her as dead. Hmm. Okay. So so Tommy gets back from seeing Car- Mr. Carty goes back to the Ritz, like to his hotel room, and he's starting to pack up and he's get- gotten a letter from Sir James. He had read about um, Tuppence in the newspaper or about the clothes. And so he's writing with his condolences and he offers, he has like, I think he has assets in like a company somewhere. And so he offers him a job. And so he goes to get, he's, he knows he has to write back to Sir James and kind of let him know, like, thank him. And so he goes to Julius's room to get paper from Julius's writing desk. And in the desk, he finds a picture of Annette, the girl that had helped him in that, in the Soho house. Oh my. Okay. Weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's pretty sketchy. Okay. Uh I don't I don't trust Julius. He, mm-hmm. He's pretty sus. I don't know who Annette is. She's French. How how would he Julius is from America though, or so he says, like, how would he even mm-hmm. have connections to this girl? Ju- Julius is definitely lying. I don't know about what or why, but I think I think there's more to this. So so that's kind of like left where it is, and we jump to the Prime Minister of England and Mr. Carter are talking. So the the government is is getting to business okay. and they're talking about a letter that they that Mr. Carter had received from Tommy and it's Tommy saying he thinks he knows where that the papers actually aren't in Mr. Brown's possession and he thinks he knows where they are but they can't find the papers until they save the girls because right now the papers are kind of be, being used as bait like if the papers are found then the girls uh, both Jane Finn and Tuppence are no use to the gang and so they need to they need to pretend mm. that they don't know where the papers are until that point. So he's like not telling them. He just is saying, I think I know where they are. Wait, is has Jane Finn been taken too? I think Tommy's pretty sure that Annette and Jane Finn are the same person. Ah. That would make sense. That would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would explain why Julia mm. But Julia said he gave away his only photo of Jane Finn. Mm-hmm. Then how did he get Annette? Mm-hmm. Do we think Julius is Mr. Okay, well, Julius reached into there and then pulled out this note. Maybe like when they were at like that Irish Cove thing, he like sneakily. Mm. I think Julius is Mr. Brown. Okay. Okay. Keep going. So they're also the the Prime Minister and Mr. Carter are also talking about um, Sir James has given them a request. It had been a man had drowned in New York three weeks ago and he wants... Sir James had wanted Mr. Carter to find out who that man was. Mm-hmm. And so the prime minister and him and Mr. Carter are talking about like what's going on here. And as they're discussing that, Sir James himself walks in uh, again, just well connected. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And <laughs> he says he had gotten a call from Tommy uh, who would to- Tommy had told him about the photograph. And also that it wasn't that the, the telegram that they had found in Tuppence's room that had said, go to the moat house at Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. That telegram had been altered after Tuppence had received it. Like words had been erased and rewritten. The original telegraph had told them, had told Tuppence to go to this, this building or this house or manor called Astley Priors. Oh, okay. That, ex- that explains it. 
Oh yeah. my gosh, I, the bell, the bellboy, the bellboy. He's Mr. Brown. Ooh, and switch the telegram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Keep going. We're really, we're really down to the end here. So Tommy goes to find. He gets Albert. Like, uh, we're we're back on Albert, the the elevator boy from, yeah. from Mrs. Vandermeer's apartment because he's kind of like he needs help. He can't do this by himself, and he doesn't trust anybody. Yeah. So he goes and finds Albert, and they go to the actual address on that telegram, Astley Pryor's, to see if they can find Tuppence. Yeah. And they see a girl in the window, and so Tommy is like, he's thinking quickly, and he remembers this old song that him and Tuppence used to sing together. Mm-hmm. And so he goes out in the street and pretends to be like marching and sings it at the top of his lungs because he knows that if it is Tuppence, she'll recognize him singing like she'll recognize the song as him because it's like something that they did together yeah okay so and he leaves albert to kind of like stay watch at the window where they think they can see a girl and sure enough uh she throws down a rock with a note attached that says meet back here same time tomorrow cool 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 and sorry albert is the the telegram the the bellboy from the rita's apartment no he yeah and so uh the elevate like the lift boy the lift boy. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So the, the bell or I don't know, the other, the boy with the telegram had been at the Ritz. Yes. Okay. Yep. 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 So that evening, Tommy's staying like Tommy and Albert are staying at the inn in town. And that evening, a uh, like vagrant man brings a note to the inn for Tommy. And it says it's from Tuppence. And it says that they're taking, she had overheard that they're going to take the girls to Hollyhead in the morning. And so she'll try and pass on this note if she can to get it to Tommy. And so Tommy calls up to Albert and is like, pack the bags, we're going to Hollyhead. But then he rereads the note and he calls back up to Albert and is like, never mind, unpack the bags, we're staying. Hmm. Maybe there's like a, a, a hidden message or he realized that like the note couldn't have been from Tuppence or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, continue. So while that's happening, Tommy's, I think Tommy's basically told Julius he's going to, he's going to go take this job from Sir James. Okay. So Julius on his own, actually, how about, I'll, I'll stop here and you give me your, your official solution, your official guess. Okay. Um, so I think like Albert, the guy Tommy's with now mm-hmm. is secretly Mr. Brown. Mm-hmm. I think he's going along with Tommy no, because that doesn't make any sense because so who has the papers, I think, is the biggest question I keep coming back to. Because by the time they got there, they were already gone. Uh, okay, I think Julius. I think Julius is Mr. Brown. And mm-hmm. I think, okay, crazy backstory. I think he was on the boat with Rita or, and um, Jane Finn, and he, like, fell in love with her mm-hmm. there. And that's how we got the photo. And he got off, and he's he's he knows she has something. Ugh, I don't. There, I don't have a theory. I don't know. There's there's too many. There's too many strings. I I, I can't see a solution. I it's pretty I, messy. I, I just want to know the truth. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll give it to you. Thank you. So there, well, there's still a few chapters left. So I I but it's we're we're in the end zone now. So I'm gonna I'll tell it all. Okay, I'll stop guessing. I at this point my my brain's <laughs> overheating. No, if any if anything comes up, stop me. But I'll I'm just gonna keep, I'll power through unless unless you stop me. Okay. So while Tommy's kind of gone off to do all this, Julius is on his like own mission, and he goes to find that Russian gang member, like the the Russian revolutionary guy. Yeah. And his name is 
Kramanin. Kramanin? Okay. So he goes in and he basically holds him at gunpoint and tells him, you're going to show me where Jane Finn is. You're going to tell me where she is. Uh, and that's yeah, that. Tommy's gotten tough in the last few chapters. This is Julius. Oh, this is Julius. Okay. Well, okay. I didn't see that coming. Julius is also very tough. Yeah. So the, the he gets the Russian into his car and the, the Russian Kramanin leads him to Ashley Pryor's. And because he's... He's number one and he's like, he does have power. He lures both the girls into the car and then Julius drives off still with this guy at gunpoint. And then he lets, uh, he lets the guy out of the car. He says, okay, off with you. And they keep driving. So then he has the two girls and they're kind of, he's explaining how, yes, I'm your cousin to Jane Finn or Annette or whatever you want to call her. Cause Tuppence had known her as this, this French girl, Annette, but now she's talking with American accent and she's starting to explain how she had been faking it this whole time. Okay. So she, they, they're slowing down at a crossroads to like decide which direction to go when all of a sudden Tommy falls into the car and he says that he had seen the car leaving and had jumped on and held on to the back. What? Which is ridiculous. But okay. that's what he did. No, Tommy's like an action hero now. Yeah. So Tommy says that the girls, he says, you have to stop the car. The girls have to get out now and take the train to London. You need to go right to Sir James' house. And Julius gets all mad. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, they're staying with us. Like, they're safer with us. And Tommy grabs the gun away from him, holding it at Julius, and says to the girls, I'll shoot him if you don't get out. Get out now. Get on a train to London. Oh my, okay. I, I can't imagine what information Tommy has had in the last few minutes to, like, make him do this. Yeah. Okay. So, so we now we're, we kind of start to follow the two girls. So Jane, it's Jane Finn slash Annette and Tuppence. And so they, they get to Sir James house in London and basically Jane just starts to like pour out all the information about what has been happening the last however many years since the sinking of the Louisitania. Thank God. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's like, okay, now we're, we're hearing the full story. Yeah. So she describes how she had been on the boat and she'd gotten the papers and the oil skin packet. And basically, since she made it to shore, she felt like there was people were following her. There was always someone watching her and she couldn't tell who. Like she was very, she was terrified. Mm-hmm. And so, so she recognizes the need to be able to transfer these papers to kind of a more secure location. And what she kind of, she doesn't, she wants to keep them on her person still. Uh, and she realizes she could put them in between two pages of a magazine and then using like uh, envelope glue, she kind of like seals the pages together to make it look like one page oh, with the yeah, yeah. papers inside. Okay. So, so she does that and then she's taking the train. This is, she's trying, she kind of feels like Mrs. Vandermeer is like maybe suspicious as this is all happening. And so when she's taking the train to England, she doesn't want to be in the same train car but she just, again, she feels like there's like forces out of her control and she's like bumped and pushed around and then just ends up in a train car with Mrs. Vandermeer. Mm. And she explains how she had felt relieved though, because there was like a happy looking couple also in the train car. And so she was thinking Mrs. Vandermeer can't do anything too serious with this couple here, but she's closed her eyes to kind of like take a rest. And she sees the young man of this couple with this terrible grin on his face and realizes She's not safe. So she gets up to leave the train car. And as she's like standing up to leave, she's hit on the back of the head. Oh my God. So when she wakes up. This is crazy. Especially when you consider the fact she was just like wrong place, wrong time. Happened to get these papers. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So she wakes up in this whatever whatever room and kind of recognizes that she needs to pretend she's lost her memory because they're going to they're going to force her to tell them where the papers are unless she can pretend that she doesn't know. And so she she had been going to she had been going to France in the first place like that had been her end journey because she spoke pretty good French. So she, I think she was going to teach or be a nurse or there was something during the war. And so her French is pretty good. And so she she wakes up and just pretends to only know French. And she says that this like terrible man comes and like twists her arm and like tries to like put her in pain to yeah. test her because she wouldn't be able to like continue talking in French if she was in too much pain is their theory. <laughs> okay. Like, I think it's the idea of, like, when you're put on the spot, you'll speak your maternal language, maybe? Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that, like, if you, like, just surprise someone. Um... Yeah, yeah. But she's able to fake it, and so I think that that's when she said, at some point she's put in this, um, she's put in this nursing home, and she's saying how she just, she feels like she's going crazy, and so she was about to confide in the nurse that had been taking care of her at the nursing home. Yeah. Uh, but she's like thankful she didn't because she recognizes that the nurse was with the gang because she had seen the nurse talking to one of the gang members at some point. Oh yeah, and so the... she doesn't. Mr. Whittington. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he would come. To... I bet he would come and be like, "Hey, has she remembered anything?" And the nurse would be like, "No, no, she hasn't." Yeah. So they think that that's probably what's going on. Is this gang was like hoping that she was lying and like waiting for her to like slip up. Mm-hmm. So she stays in this nursing home for several years. And then I think when she's transferred, she's moved to the house that Tommy is staying in. And so she's playing this part as Annette. And she ta- tells Tuppence and Sir James that when she had first, when Tommy had first come, she thought that Tommy was another plant to get her to talk. Like it was like this fake prisoner to make her confi- confide in him. So she really hadn't wanted to say anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I had, I skipped a part. The, the room that Tommy was in was the room that she was brought to right when she was taken off, like when she was hit on the back of the head at the very Wait. beginning of all of this. So she gets out of the hospital and then the gang hires her as a maid? Not hires her. They, you know, instruct her, if that makes sense. Like she's she's being held as a prisoner as well. But the idea is that she's lost her memory. And so she do, she doesn't know that she wouldn't want to be with this gang, I guess. I don't know. Ah, okay. Okay. That makes sense. They're like, let's just approach this girl and pretend like we're just offering to take care of her after this tragic accident okay yeah kind of yeah that idea so so the reason it's important that she had been held in the same room right after louise titania is because she hadn't lost her memory and so when she had woken up in this room she had recognized the need to transfer those papers from the magazine and Mm -hmm. so there had been pictures in that room and so she had taken off the backing of one of the pictures and slipped the documents into that picture oh wow so she's going and they haven't been moved they're still in that room and i think i think at this point sir sir james is like this is amazing the british government is gonna be so happy we've got to go get them now and so they head off to to the house in soho and they go up to the room and they pull off she pulls off the painting off the wall and like they get it out and sir james takes them and is like this is fantastic and then he pulls out a gun and says, thank you both for helping me find these papers. My gang will be so happy. Oh my god, was was Sir James uh, Mr. Brown? Yes, Sir James was Mr. Brown the whole time. What? Oh, 
But do you want, I'll give you, I'll give you the happy ending before, before we talk about this. Okay, yeah. So Tommy had known this was going to happen the whole time. He had, he had pieced it together. We'll talk about how he pieced it together. But he had, he had needed to prove that it was Sir James. And so that's why he sent the girls off to tell him to talk to him. And Mm -hmm. he had stayed with Julius. And then him and Julius had quickly gotten back to get Mr. Carter and go to this house and stake it out so they could watch what Sir James was going to do. Yeah. Okay. And so when they, they kind of come out of the shadows and confront Sir James, he quickly bites his ring, which apparently had cyanide poisoning in it, and it kills him. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. A lot, a lot happened. Please ask me all your questions. I know it was a lot. Wait. Okay. So just at the ending there, he sends the girls. Okay. That's kind of a dick move on Tommy's <laughs> part. He's like, go go be my like bait to go talk to this gang member and see if he like yeah. does something violent to prove that he's like <laughs> Basically okay. they had no proof. Like they couldn't prove Sir James was Mr. Brown. So they needed proof. Crazy. Okay, so okay, so then they're watching and then when Sir James pulls out his gun and is like, I'm gonna go give these to my gang, the boys step out of the shadows and they're like, No, you're not, and then Sir James, aka Mr. Brown, just kills himself. Basically. And to be clear, it's not just the boys. Like, Mr. Carter and, like, a bunch of police officers are also there. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Sir James realizes, like, the show's up. You're going to jail. You might hang. Like, it's, it's over. And so he, he takes it on his own terms. Okay, so Rita maybe wasn't as bad as we thought. Like, if she didn't realize who Mr. Brown was, she was just, like, on this boat, hanging out, went on living her life. So it does seem, as we were saying, like she had this like relationship with Sir James. Yeah. It seems like she knew that he was Mr. Brown. And so that's why when they came into the apartment, she she fainted. And so you were you were on on the nose to a degree when you said that it was in the brandy. Oh, okay. So we think that wait, so who was in the apartment overnight staying up? It was So so Miss Mrs. Vandermeer and Tuppence had been talking. Sir James and Julius come into the room and she faints. They give her brandy and put her to bed. And so then the three of them stay up all night while Mrs. Vandermeer quote unquote sleeps, although she's likely she's she's been dead. Crazy. Okay, so I was on the right track when I was like, yeah, I know it's someone there that didn't sneak in, but I was too focused on Julius to realize that Sir James was actually yes. Mr. Brown. I know, I know. It's it is it's I had the same thought of you when I was reading this book. It was like, it has to be one of these three people, but who is it? Yeah, and I didn't think it was Tuppence because she kind of like, we saw how she got pulled into this. Yeah. Yeah, no, and Sir James was so well connected. Like, what a what a mobster thing to be. Yeah, yeah, he had it going for him. So so I'll try to tie up some other loose ends. So that mm-hmm. picture, that picture of Annette that was in Julius's writing desk. Yeah. He had found it again when they've been staying in Mrs. Vandermeer's house. And so oh. he had actually given it to Miss Mr. Brown at the beginning and that had reclaimed it. And I can't remember why he hadn't told anyone he had found the picture again, but it was like he didn't he didn't want I don't remember. He maybe he, he, want he wanted to, like, to make copies it? of it. Oh yeah. Yeah, he didn't want someone to take it again or something because again, he was saying he loved this girl. And so when he had said that he met they they met Jane in the flesh and she had told them that she had hidden the papers at Hollyhead. That was that girl that could impersonate people. That was that girl. Oh, so, okay, so when he overheard that thing up for lunch where it was like an archbishop would believe, da-da-da-da-da, they just have yeah. some random girl who's good at impersonating Correct. people. 
Yeah. Yeah. Totally random, like super side story. But that's the girl that's impersonating Jane Finn saying the papers are at Hollyhead. So they never were. It's not like Mr. Brown beat them to the papers. They were never there in the first place. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that that's the part that I kept coming back to is like, I couldn't figure out how that timeline would have worked out. Yeah, no, exactly. And so I think that's kind of what Tommy starts to clue into is he he realizes when he finds that photograph that either it's Julius or it's Sir James and he's not sure which one it is. And so he kind of has to set them both up and like play them. And this is this is where if you had been reading the book, you would have had this clue and I had no idea how to give it to you via a podcast. Mm-hmm. But that note that had been sent to Tommy when he was at us, like right at the end of the book that um, said it was from Tuppence. Oh, the rock note. Saying that yeah. The, yeah. The, the one that said there, I overheard they're sending us to Hollyhead. Yeah. It had been signed Tuppence, but spelt two pence. Whereas okay. her name is not spelt that way. And so Tommy realized then that Julius had seen Tuppence spell her own name before when like on some note and so it had to be Sir James because he was the only one who would spell her name wrong. Okay. Wow. So I that's, almost... a, that's, a, that's a clue I couldn't give you. Well, remember when we were talking at the start? I'm like, Tuppence, how do you spell that? What a weird name. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I was just thinking like, oh, and I can't give you this clue, but we can talk about it. <laughs> Crazy. Wow. That was so involved. I had like three pages of notes trying to like put <laughs> together what was happening. <laughs> It's a lot, right? And this was like, you know, kind of spy themed, like there's even more going on than like a, a cozy mystery or something. Yeah. And the fact that there were two narrators, like I'd say most of the problems in this book had to do with like mm. them being separated, them not having like one person had the information the other person needed, like, or like yeah. I saw him, but I can't describe him to you. Like only I could identify him. Yeah. 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 So uh, I didn't want to tell you this at the time. Well, sorry, at the beginning. Because when this book would have come out in 1922, no one else would have known. But okay. Tommy and Tuppence are recurring detective characters. Like, they appear in other books. And oh. I didn't say anything because then it kind of left the possibility that you could suspect them or not be, you know, like, leave They could die or, like, they could have been the bad guys. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, they, they come back. So I actually, I don't like Tommy and Tuppence stories. Like, I've... I. They're, I'm not a fan. I like forced myself to read this one, and it was good. It just like I don't know. I just it doesn't click with me as much. So I actually haven't read the other ones. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. That was my next question. Like, are they good? Do they get better? <laughs> what's What's the uh, What's the next book that you're is coming up? Is it a? Uh, are you gonna do another Tommy and Tuppence, or not even gonna read the next one? <laughs> I, I will say for listeners at home, I will, if you want me to do a Tommy and Toppets again, uh, <laughs> you should email me at Tuesday Night Mystery Club at gmail.com or send me a message on Instagram. You can follow me at Tuesday Night Mystery Club. The, the next book that I have up is not a Tommy and Toppets, but I could do them in the future. <laughs> so thank you so much, Emily, for coming on and doing this story with me. I had a great time. What did you think of everything? How'd you like the story? This is... This was awesome. I the only thing I wish is that I had like a larger notebook because after a while I had to flip pages <laughs> and I lost the like notes of my first one. So that would be my tip to anyone yeah. who comes on. But yeah, no, this was so much fun. I'll keep I'll keep that in mind. I'll let people know. <laughs> Just get a big piece of paper, maybe like like uh uh like a poster board, and you can do like a total 
web. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you have like sticky notes that you stick up and you're like drawing <laughs> lines and stuff. Uh, any final thoughts? No, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks, uh, Emily, and goodbye, everybody. Thank you.